Well, good morning, church. Grateful to be back here with you at our online service. Want to give you a quick update as um, our church leaders, our staff, our elders have been really praying and uh, really saying, how is the Lord leading us as we navigate this season? When are we going to get back together? Um, and so just wanted to give you all an update with regard to that. We loved seeing you all last week at the Coffee and Donuts drive through uh, This morning, if you're watching this before 10 a.m., we're doing that again, um, where you can come by, grab a cup of coffee. We're just doing a drive through at Bonnie's. Uh, and you can drop off your backpack supplies for the school drive that we're partnering with. And so I want to encourage you to come see us and do that. And actually, next Sunday, uh, we have decided that we are going to begin to regather. Um, and we're going to try to do this as uh, safely and with wisdom and with the guidance of folks that we've been talking with. And so we're going to be continuing to do social distanced in our service. We are going to be requiring masks so that everyone when we come in, we're all going to be wearing masks just, just to be safe and just to be sure and just to um, be cautious. Uh, we're, we're trying to have an abundance of caution to make sure that we are loving one another and loving our neighbors well during this, this season. Um, and we're going to have to have some limited capacity. And so be, be on the lookout in your inbox for um, another registration where we're going to be just asking that you reserve your spot with your kids. We're going to open two classrooms at limited capacity. And so for those of you that want to drop your kids off, we're going to have limited capacity classrooms to provide for uh, safe social distancing in a couple of our classrooms. And so uh, we're excited to jump back in. We're excited to worship together in person, to open up God's word, to hear from him, um, to worship together. It, it is going to look a little bit different, but that's okay. That's the season we're in, and uh, the, the Lord is not surprised by it, and so we are uh, looking forward to having you. So be, be on the lookout for an email. If you do not feel comfortable uh, joining us live and in person, we are still going to be doing this, uh, our online service. And so you can tune in and still fellowship and worship with us online and uh, no judgment across the board. Uh, we know that each family, each individual is having to make these decisions um, individually. And so uh, we as a church want to respond in kind and say, uh, we love you and support you in whatever decision you make, whether you're going to join us live or whether you're just going to join us online. And so uh, that's the update. Be on the lookout for more information uh, in your inbox. Feel free to reach out to us via email if you have specific questions. But this morning, uh, I'm excited uh, and a little sad because we are finishing Romans chapter 8. We have been spending, this is our 11th week, looking at really every word of this wonderful chapter, Romans 8, as I've been saying, the great eight, this uh, many would regard as one of the most wonderful chapters in all of our Bible. And so we've just been taking a deep dive. We've been drinking deeply from the truths of the, the grace of our Lord Jesus, our salvation, our adoption as sons, the fact there's no condemnation. And so we're going to be finishing here this morning. So I'm going to jump in. If you have your Bibles, grab them, open Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 28 that we hit last week and get into our verses here at the end. God's word says this. And we know that for those who love God, now notice it doesn't say those who deserve God. It says those who love God. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now here's our verses that we're going to be camped in. What, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who shall be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whew, wow. Um, these are, th this is just an amazing conclusion to this chapter. These are, this is like kind of take no prisoners kind of uh, ending to this chapter. And so in our journey in Romans chapter eight, it now funnels down to this whole point of it all. So if you remember at the very beginning, verse one, at the very beginning of this, 11 weeks ago, we saw this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now Paul ends it right here in our verses and he reiterates, so there's no condemnation and now because of that, now there is no separation. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we've seen in Christ through this journey that we are not accused. Notice he just said, who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one will accuse you now of your sin and failings. Who will be condemned? Verse one, there will be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? There is no separation. So church, I want you to just marvel at that this morning. That is a wonderful comfort. That is an anchor to our souls. The Bible is saying that in Christ, we are not accused, we are not condemned, and we are not separated from him, ever. Nothing can separate us. Nothing will accuse us. No one will condemn us. Paul is reminding us that no matter what we face in life, no matter what you come up against, no matter what sufferings, no matter what type of um, hardship you are in right now or you will endure one day, no matter what is going on, Paul says, our anchor holds. Our anchor holds. We are safely and securely um, rooted in the love of God through Christ. We are safe. We are secure forever and ever and ever. We have been in eternity past, and we will be in eternity future.
Amen? If you're at home, you can say it. Um, we're safe in the love of God. Now notice in verse 35, Paul does not say, he, the way he says this, this is, um, I wish he said it differently, but he doesn't. Uh, he, he does not say that the love of God will separate us from walking through tribulations and sufferings and hardships. He doesn't say that, okay, the love of God that's on you will now shield you from all of these hardships. No, what does he say? He says, nothing, none of these things will separate us from the love of God. He does not promise you easy life as a Christian. He does not promise you your best life right now in, on earth that you will never have any suffering. He says, no, the love of God doesn't shield you from suffering. He says, none of those things will ever separate you from the love of God. So you can endure. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, knowing what? That your rod and your staff guide me and comfort me. Your love is never not with me. So in the midst of all these things, we are more than conquerors, Paul says. Um, now, back before I had all this gray hair in my beard, which has been magnified for me doing online services, um, I was in charge of uh, youth ministry for, for a few years when I first started off in full-time ministry as a youth pastor. And I was in charge of this event that we came up uh, when, when upcoming uh, junior high kids were coming into our youth ministry that we called Man's Night. And Man's Night was just kind of like, um, we did all these manly things, right? It was an all-nighter. We ate like all-you-can-eat pizza, and then we went and ate barbecue later on in the night. It was just like an, it, just all this like manly stuff. We went skeet shooting sometimes, and then we would always go to a rock climbing gym that we would rent out for the whole night, and we would just let kids just expend all the energy from all the Mountain Dews that they had drank and all the candy that they ate um, and all the um, all the sugar hives that they were on, and they would just rock climb until they finally collapsed and maybe some of them fell asleep on the padded floor that they have there. But I remember there was this one, there was this one section at the rock climbing place that was like a, a repelling wall where you climb up this really high, like the highest part of this warehouse that we were in and these uh, little like 11, 12 year old men, right, turning into men, we would challenge them to repel down this giant wall. Many of them had never done this before. And so they're kind of, they get all harnessed up, they got all the ropes on, and they look down, and they basically just have to like jump backwards off of this precipice that's like straight down, and it's terrifying. And uh, inevitably, the kids that had never done it before they didn't really trust their friends, their 12-year-old buddies that had been up all night to be the person at the bottom as the anchor, the one that was uh, feeding more rope through as they rappelled down the wall. And they're like, I don't want my 12-year-old friend being my anchor as I jump off of this precipice. And so inevitably, all the kids that had never done it before that were terrified at looking down and jumping off that wall would always ask me to hold the rope and rappel them down. And I was happy to do it. But why did they do that? Why did they ask me? Um, because they trusted me. They're like, I want Sean to be at the bottom of that thing. He's bigger than my 12-year-old buddy. He can hold me. He can hold that rope. And he's, I've seen, it, seen him do it to 50 other kids as they jumped off this repelling wall and careened down the side of this uh, fake rock wall. Um, and I was happy to do it. And it's, 
This is exactly what Romans chapter eight, this very ending is, is it's the apostle Paul telling us that we can trust God to hold the rope um, because we know him. We know what he's like. We know what he's done for us. We can trust him with all of our weight as we jump forward into this life that we're living and he will gently and in his plan bring us down at the pace that he needs us to go. And we can trust that he's not gonna let us go, that he will not uh, forget about us, that he won't forget to do something that he's supposed to be doing as he's letting us come down that wall. We can trust him at the very end to hold that rope. That's what Romans 8 is all about. That's what Paul's trying to help us understand. That's what Paul's hoping that we grasp and we hold on to. God can be trusted. There's not a day that goes by when God is not for us and his, not, and his eye is not up watching out for us, is what Romans 8 tells us. Now God is declaring in these passages that he can be trusted and that his love is sufficient for you, that we can put all of our weight back on him and he will guide us. We don't have to hold back because he doesn't hold back on us. And so church today, maybe as a moment for you, I wanna encourage you to get off the fence Stop trusting half in yourself and half in God. That's not the gospel. But put your full weight into trusting the Lord Jesus. He has you. He will not let you fall. And come down on the side of the assurance of God, the trust of God, the love of God. That's the best place that you can be. So I urge you to trust in the word of God and trust in the character of God and put your whole weight on him. Verse 31, we're gonna see a series of questions that Paul poses. Here's the first one. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's almost like defiance Paul's talking about here. He's just like, hey, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's this sort of defiant stake in the ground. <clears throat> there's no self-pity. It's not like, oh, I'm, it's, it's, there's no wishy-washiness. There's no wishful thinking. Well, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that one day, no, no, no. If God is for us, who then is against us? Uh, Paul is planting a flag in the ground. This is confidence in God. Now, the question is not who is against us. It's not that Paul doesn't know the opposition that's out there. We see, and Paul has faced tons of opposition. The devil is against us. The world is against us. And what Paul is saying is that if we try to come up against that opposition that is very real and present in the spiritual realm and the world in which we live, if we're gonna say, I'm gonna try harder next time and I'll overcome, I can do this, I will pick myself up by the bootstraps, we will fail and we will be crushed. But Paul is saying, no, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to figure it out on my own. I don't have to stand up against the rulers and powers of evil and sin and say, I will do better because now God is for me. And so who can be against me? Right? We don't have to prove ourselves. God is saying, Paul is saying, God's for me. So who can be against us? So what this tells us, church, is 
God is for you if you are found in Christ. Uh, He's not against you. You know what else this tells us? God is not just neutral about you. He's not just sort of um, aimlessly watching down as some supreme high power, just sort of observing what is going on and seeing how you react. He's not neutral. He's not just watching. He's for you. He's for you. Jesus says it this way in John 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friend. He's for you. He's a friend. What a comfort that is. Second question we see in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All right. So where did God not spare his own son? That's what Paul says. He goes, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So where was that, that God did not spare his own son? It was at the cross. What happened at the cross? God the Father gave up Jesus. Uh, he, He sent him to the cross. The Father abandoned him on the cross. When everything was on the line, all of our sin was poured out on the back of the Son of God. And he hung there on the cross in our place. It says, for us. God did not spare him. God sent him to drink the very last drop of the cup of wrath poured out on the back of his very own begotten son. God did not rescue Jesus at the cross. God forsook him. Jesus cried out in pain. God did not listen to him. Jesus prayed on the cross. God did not answer him. Church, catch this. This is what Paul's trying to help us understand. And this is huge. Jesus was not saved at the cross so that you and I could be. Jesus was not saved at the cross so that you and I could be saved. That's what happened. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. So that now we have all of God. We get all of the benefit and blessing of being sons and daughters of God because Jesus was not spared so that we are. And so Paul's question about that, when we think about that, when that sits on your heart, when that rests in your mind, Paul says, how will God not freely give us all things? In other words, if God gave us his most costly gift in Jesus, God gave us his very best, how could he possibly hold back now? He's not going to. Paul says, God is not in the business of nickel and diming you now in this life. God is not reluctant to love you and pour out grace and mercy on you. That doesn't make any sense in the economy of God with what we just understood if, the point is this, if God gave up his son, if God poured out the wrath of sin on the back of his very son, his most precious beloved son of God, for you, there is no limit to the love of God. He will not hold back. 
from you. We can rest in the love of God, church. Third question, verse 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now, uh, this is all about bringing charges against someone as bringing condemnation against someone. And when you kind of look at, especially here in Bible Belt South, uh, in Bible Belt Southern Christianity, bless your heart Christianity, uh, there's a lot of condemnation. There's a lot of condemning religion in the Bible Belt. Um, But Paul's saying, this is not where God takes us. Here's where God takes us. The gospel surprises us. The gospel surprises us in ways that we would never expect that God sent his only son so no one can be against us. And now because of that, because of that ultimate sacrifice, that substitutionary atonement that Jesus took our place, now the love of God is poured out on us. It means that the gospel surprises us in this way, that God can love moral failures like me and like you. That God can take um, morally bankrupt people that don't get it, that haven't done it right, that might not do it right in the future, and he can still pour out his grace and mercy on them. That is the goodness of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. He can look at moral failures pronounce on them no condemnation, melt their hard hearts, change their ways, fold them into the family of God, and pronounce them righteous sinners by the hands of Jesus through our Lord. Because it is God who justifies them, not their actions. And no one can de-justify them because God has already declared it to be true. There is no supreme court above God to reverse any verdict. It is God's alone and his verdict stands. So you are in Christ, you are forever in Christ. He will never let you go. Fourth and final question, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Um, And then Paul kind of takes a good hard look at all the different things that the world would say would separate us, but actually don't. And he says, these things are sort of enemies to our happiness. Um, We've got tribulation, disasters, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, just for starters. Um, And Paul looks at these things. Paul's experienced all of these things. And he says, do these experiences in our lives Do these hardships prove that Christ no longer cares for you? Does it mean that he's left you alone? And the Bible says no. Uh, Paul comes up with this list of sufferings for the life of God's people, verse 36. And he even goes so far as to say this, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's talking about people who stand up in their faith and claim this great love of God even though they don't deserve it. And throughout the history of Christianity, the church has been persecuted and people have been put to death for standing on the gospel and the love of Christ. And then he quotes a psalm in verse 37. He says, but in all these things, 
No, I'm sorry, he quoted that before. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered in verse 37. But in all these things, not in some of these things, in all of these things, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, the enemy, Satan, the one that prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour, thinks he can get us to turn on God. And when we suffer, and we do suffer, and when we weep, when we do weep, and when we waver, and we do waver, don't we? God still loves us personally and powerfully through those things, and he will never let us go. It says, we are more than conquerors by going through even living hell. And it's the love of God that keeps us true and anchored in because we know he has the rope. He will never let us go. Catch this. As Paul is painting this picture, um, he, he's doing so in a very clear way that it is not our love for God that keeps us it's not your great efforts and love and feelings that keep us. It's God's heart toward you. It's God's love poured out on you that keep you and hold you and secure you. Not your great love for God that keeps you, holds you, and secures you. It's his love. So we're, we're not victims even when we go through suffering. Because we're like, God's not surprised. He's with me. We're conquerors, Paul says. We're more than conquerors. By believing in the love of God, we say this, whatever may come, let it come. Because God is with me. I can walk through anything. I can go through anything. And the love of God is my great comfort. He still pours out his love even when I waver. Even in my failings, I can still come to him because he did not spare his son. That which was most costly, yet he poured out his love and grace. And so we can stand as Christians knowing because of God, we will prevail. That's really good news. And so just as we wrap up here, what do I hope? What did I hope that we might learn from spending 11 weeks looking at every word of Romans 8? Well, I hope that you have found the source of your security in the love of God, that your heart would be swelled with the worship of Jesus, even in the midst of pandemics and suffering and uncertainty and such a strange time that the Lord is not surprised. You don't have to figure a way out of it. In fact, we're going through this on purpose. God is working out his very plan just as he sees fit for you and for me. And we can walk through it all because he, Jesus has the rope. He's in control. And what I hope to see happen is that... Um, as we praise God, even in the midst of the storm and even in the midst of suffering, that other people may look in at you and I as Christians, though we are broken, though we don't have it all together, we can point to the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of our Lord Jesus and say, he is our anchor. He is the one that holds me. In a world um, divided and angry and 
looking for hope where all seems hopeless might look at a group of people that don't have it all together, that are certainly not perfect, that point to a perfect, good, true, righteous, beautiful, ever-present, everlasting, eternal God and say, he is real, he holds us, he has us, and he always will. And they would want to come join us. They would want to come join us in serving and worshiping and loving Jesus, our Lord. So let's be bold about the claims and truths of Christ. And it's his love that keeps us. It's not our great efforts. And so we can just point to him. And he will hold us and he will keep us and he will continue to love us forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we say this morning that we trust you um, and we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you that it illumines our path, that illumines our hearts, that it illumines our minds so that we might see you clearly, that we might know who you are and know what you're like. And so now we can trust you fully. We can put our full weight on you because you have us. You are our anchor. You are our hope. Um, We can rest deeply in the love of God through Christ our Lord. Jesus, it's for you and it's by you and it's through you. We pray all these things. Amen. Let's worship church.